Today we're gonna be in Luke 15 and it's gonna feel a little bit different because the passages aren't gonna be on the screen for you. So you're gonna to have to, we're gonna be going through all of Luke 15 and uh, once you in your Bible this morning, maybe on your phone, your Bible app, whatever's in front of you, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 15. So turn there, scroll there, tap there, make sure your neighbor gets there. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 15. And Luke 15 is known for the parables that it tells. Anybody know the parables that are in Luke 15? The coin, what else? The sheep and the prodigal son, right? Or the prodigal sons. We're gonna look at that this morning. So Luke 15, I'm already in the habit of looking at the screen to see where we're going, but we're gonna be in the Bible. Luke 15 verses one and two say this. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him, that's Jesus, to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus has a notorious reputation for eating with tax collectors and sinners. And think about that statement for a moment. We normally have a category in our mind of what constitute a sinner. And when the Bible authors are writing, they're writing about the culture of the time, there are sinners and then there are tax collectors. They had a whole category unto themselves. They were the lowest of the low because they had betrayed their Israelite identity and given themselves over to Rome and then preyed on their own people's money, charging often 100 to 200% more than what Rome required in taxes so that they could, make a, they could have a really nice cushy life. And that's the crew that Jesus finds himself hanging out with. And more than just the passive finds himself, I think it's the group that Jesus pursues the most. You find him all throughout scripture and particularly in Luke, going from table to table, meal to meal with people who would not make our guest list today. That's who Jesus finds himself meeting with. And the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. It's one thing to receive a sinner. It's another thing to share a meal with them. That's what Jesus is doing. When you share a meal with somebody, you're entering into community. You're a part of the family. They're a part of the family. You welcome people into that space and they become one of your own and you become one of theirs. It was one thing for Jesus to have company with sinners. It was another to eat with them. And I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that Jesus chooses to have company with sinners and eats with them. Because that means that it, I've got at least a shot at the table and I think you do too. So Jesus in verse three tells them a parable saying this, we'll read verses four through seven. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 and one in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found my sheep, which is lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous person, persons who have no need of repentance. You know the story. You've heard it in Sabbath school growing up or Sunday school, whatever your faith background might be. The shepherd leaves the 99 for the one. It's what Corey Asbury will say, the reckless love of God that chases me down. 
Jesus is likening himself to, he, to this shepherd and he's wanting to communicate a truth to these Pharisees. He says, I am willing like this shepherd to leave behind 99 people and then I, I know that they're gonna be okay and safe and go after the one person who is lost. Now, sheep are very interesting creatures in that other than the, the form of their bodies and what comprises their anatomy, they are very, very similar to humans. They have a herd mentality or a mob mentality that we're kind of one person starts to go someplace, everybody's like, oh, let's go this way. And like, oh, everybody's going that way. Let's just hop on that bandwagon. They're very stubborn, they're very obstinate. They like things to be very comfortable and peaceful around them. You know, it's interesting in uh, Psalm 23, when the, the David's writing about the good shepherd, right? And he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's interesting about that good shepherd that takes care of his sheep is that he invites his sheep to lay down in the middle of the buffet. That's how much God wants to take care of you. That's how much God cares for you. And when one sheep is lost, the shepherd goes after that sheep. And it's a long, arduous journey. Sheep can kind of wander off and sheep cannot take care of themselves. They are on their own. If left to their own devices, they will die very, very quickly. And the shepherd is willing to go after the one. And we think about it in our society today, it's like, well, statistically, you kept 99%. Like that's, that's better than market average. To lose one sheep, you know, like next spring, you'll have some more lambs and, and you'll make up for it. No, the shepherd cares for his sheep. And the, the first idea or the thought that I'd like you to ponder on this morning is that God seeks the statistically insignificant. When it doesn't make sense on paper, when it's just the one or the 2% that society or church could say, you know, like it's just a small part of our community. It doesn't really matter how we treat that one group or that, that one ideology. No, what the shepherd does is go after the one who is lost. And out of a group of a hundred, he's willing to go after the one. You've likely taken some exams in your life and would probably be very happy with a 99% on your exam, right? Uh, somebody said, yes, I right, appreciate that. Everybody else, you said it in your heart and our spirit agrees, right? You'd be happy that 1%, you're not writing back to your teacher and, and asking for that, for that one point. But I would wager, that there may be somebody in the room that even though you got the 99 on the exam, that you're writing the email, you're showing back up at the doorstep, you're sending mail, you're just, would you please tell me how I missed this one point? That tenacity that maybe the one of us shares in this room is the tenacity that the shepherd goes after the one lost sheep. And when he's found that sheep, and when you get your one point back on your exam, not because maybe you were right, but because of your shameless audacity in going and asking over and over again, you throw a party or at least a little happy dance as you walk out of the office, right? The parable of the lost sheep, God seeks the statistically insignificant. He tells another story, verse eight, it's in the same vein with the, the, with the first parable. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? 
When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. At this time, those silver coins represented the the bride price that her husband would have paid. It was very precious to a woman. It was just about the only thing that she could own and hold on to that would give her a sense of value and give her the ability to navigate the economy at the time. And to lose one of those coins was to lose a significant part of what would provide for her when her husband was no longer alive. So when she loses that coin, she turns over her entire house. Now, you and I do this. I, 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 you know, when I come home, pull the keys out, wallet out and everything. And uh, unlike my father, he's very chagrined that I do this. My dad had like a place that his wallet and keys would go. And that is where it would go every single time. For me, it's kind of like, well, this shelf is convenient or like that spot is good. And there are mornings when I wake up and I'm headed out the door. I'm like, where did my wallet go? Right? Yeah, Christian, you've done it too, right? And you, you spend, you waste an inordinate amount of time that if you just pick the spot, like that's where the thing goes, you could always come back to that place. But you, like me, like to live with a little bit more adventure in your life, right? You like to have a little bit of stress as you're leaving the house just to make sure that you're still alive. And it's moving that pile of clothes or that magazine or that book. And you go around and you check all the places and then you go back around and check all the places. And then it's the third time that as you looked in that one spot that you've already looked at twice, it's like, there it is. Now I can leave and and hopefully I make it to class on time. That's the sense that this woman has. She's lost something that's of extreme importance to you. Now, some of you like to live life on the wild side and you just leave without your wallet. You're like, I'll find it later this week. And like, that's okay with you. Um, let's talk afterwards. We should, we should check that out. What Jesus is articulating here in this story is that God seeks with a determined persistence. This woman turns her house completely upside down, sweeps the house and search carefully until she finds the coin. God seeks us with a determined persistence. He will not leave the house until we have been found. And there's also an interesting comparison between this story and the story of the lost sheep. The sheep knows that it's lost, but it has no means to find its way back to the shepherd. The coin, however, has no idea that it's lost. And it's lost inside of the house. Think about the implications for our spiritual life, that we can be a part of a faith community inside of a safe cocoon and still be lost without even knowing it. But God is willing with determined persistence to find you. Final story this morning, the story of the prodigal sons. We'll read of the first one first. And he said, this is Jesus speaking, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. This son is telling his father, you are dead to me. Give me my inheritance. That's the only way that you would receive an inheritance if the person giving it to you had died. So he says, you're dead to me. And not many days later, the younger gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. There he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, uh, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Not the greatest look 
And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. It's a rough life. Stinks, it's hard work. He's willing to eat pig food if it would only mean that he will continue to live. But when he came to his senses, there's a moment in his life where he realizes that the choices that he's made have led him into this place and he needs to do something about it. He said in verse 18, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to them, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now you've been there when you've practiced the speech right? When you've done something and you've got to go talk to somebody about it, going over and over and over your head, what am I going to say? For some of us, that's anytime we make a phone call, right? If you're calling about something, okay, I'm going to rehearse. I'm going to say this. They're going to say that. And I'm going to say this. And when they don't react in the script that you rehearsed in your head, you're like, what do I do now? What do I do now? This guy's got the speech repaired. And in verse 20, he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he only gets half of his speech out. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Beautiful story of the grace and the mercy of the father. The father who mirrors the son, but in a perfect way because the son lavishly spent his wealth on his own selfishness. But the father lavishly bestows his love and his grace on his son, gives everything back to him and reinstates him as a son in his household, welcoming him back in. By the way, this, the father's on the porch and he's looking. And I know this story had to have happened in Texas because this is while he was still a far way off. In Texas, particularly in West Texas, if you sit on your front porch and look out, you can see about 50 miles away. If you stand up, that goes to about 100, right? So the father's looking a long way off. And when he sees him, he begins to run towards him, which would have been one of the most offensive things that he could have been, do been have done as a father in the Jewish community. Men did not run. That was not a thing that they did. But he took and he, he pulled his, his garments around him and he ran after them. He didn't care what anybody else thought because the way that his son had treated him, the community had the right to stone the son and the father wanted to get there first. That if the community that had rocks in their hands ready to stone the son, the father comes and wraps his arms around him and smothers the son in the middle of his speech and he says, welcome home. Welcome home. I'm so glad you've come back. Welcome in. You are my son. It's what God does for us. When we're ready to throw stones at each other because of things that we've committed or who we are and what we're doing, the father runs and says, my son, my daughter, welcome home. Welcome back into my home. I'm so glad that you're part of the family. Let's throw a party. And the story too ends with a party, but the story is not done. There's the older brother, Luke 15, verses 25 through 32. And arguably, he perhaps is the more lost brother out of the two. Now his older brother was in the field, and when he came and approached his house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring, 
what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back, in, back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet I've never been given a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he says, not my brother, this son of yours, he's not my brother, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. His father says to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. It's natural for us to throw a party or at least a little happy dance when we find something that's lost. It can be very difficult, for, however, for us when we, like the older brother, feel that we've, we've been the good ones. We've never rejected God. We've, we've grown up in the Adventist school system. I attend Southwestern Adventist University. I'm a member of Keene Church. You're telling me I've invested so much of my life in being part of this family and some Yahoo of a younger brother gets to go out and squander what was freely given to him. And when he comes back looking for something that we just welcome him in and throw him a party? Like, what's up with that? I've done everything right, dad, come on. The father says, you don't understand what you've actually had while you've lived in my house. Everything I have is yours. You've got access, you've got my credit card, you've got keys to my car, you have access to the refrigerator any time of the day or night that you wanna be there. You've got everything, son. How could we not celebrate your brother who was once lost and is now found? See, this, the thread that runs through this story is a thread of rejoicing and celebration. And when we look at the lost sheep, it's easy for us to be like, yeah, we can, we can celebrate that. Yeah, like one person out of a hundred comes in like, yes, that's fantastic. And we look at the, the lost coin, we can celebrate that too. We can resonate with that one out of 10. But when it's my brother and I've been the one that's done everything right and I feel like I'm just slaving away in the father's house and he runs off and does whatever and gets accepted back in as if he never left, what's up with that? This story finishes with an invitation to the older brother and it's an invitation to us as well. And it's this very question, will you not rejoice? You'll throw a party for the one out of 100, throw a party for the one out of 10. Will you not rejoice when your brother or sister was lost and has now been found? The invitation found in Luke chapter 15 is that there's always room for one more. The Father makes sure of it. But in our approach to one another, will we be out in the field like the older brother pouting because someone who we think is not worthy of the grace and the love of Jesus, that that person has been welcomed back into the home? Will we not rejoice?